You are listening to sermon audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net. So lots and lots of stories with Vacation Bible School. And one of the incredible things about Vacation Bible School that we've alluded to is that we literally see impact and ripple from this throughout the community over the course of the entire year. And one of those stories that I got to be a part of this this last week was I, I got to be a crew leader for the first time for some, uh, for some fifth graders, which was epic. It was so much fun. But I also got to also um, help with some of the logistics. And as you know, Family Fun Night is a big undertaking. There's a lot that goes into getting ready for that. We open ourselves up to the community and invite the community in to celebrate Vacation Bible School and just to have fun together. And it takes a lot of logistics, a lot of supplies to make that happen. And we get those, those resources from a variety of places and the food we get from a variety of places. But our main order came from this one entity who will go nameless for now. But we placed this order about a week and a half ago with the understanding that the order would be ready when we went to go pick it up. So on Friday afternoon, I went with my pickup to go pick up this order, and it wasn't ready. And so we waited for about an hour as they filled our order, which should have been ready for us when we got there, and you know, those things happen. But a little bit of frustration with that, and we're on the clock, we've gotta get the food back here in order to start getting it cooked and prepared and ready on time. And uh, the gentleman who was filling our order came back to me and said, well, there's a problem. So, what's the problem? Um, We don't have this segment of your order, which was a significant part of the order. Say, yeah, we don't have it. Um, Let me make sure I heard you correctly. You don't have it. We ordered this a week ago. Can you help me understand why you don't have it? And he said, yeah, the the warehouse just didn't send it to us. So we don't have it. I said, okay. Well, that's a problem. We've got to figure this out then with what we're going to substitute and what we're going to do. And we did figure out a a reasonable substitute after clearing some things out off their shelves completely um, to make this happen. But as we're doing this, this guy turns to me, who's helping me fill our order, and says, so what's this for anyway? I said, well, I'd love to tell you. And I told him about Family Fun Night and opening us up to the community. And we're expecting over 1,000 of our closest family and friends from Gresham to come. You know, and we need to make sure we have enough food for everybody. He said, oh, I know that church. I know you. You're the pastor there. You're one of the pastors there, right? I said, uh, yeah. And at this point, I'm thinking, you know, I'm really glad I didn't explore some of those other options that were available to me. <laughs> swearing, throwing things, throwing a temper tantrum. You know, I'm thinking, holy cow. And this is not the first time this has happened to me. I've had a number of interactions in the community where I don't know who I'm talking to, but evidently they know who I am, right? And so I was struck by the reality that, you know what? Your character matters. Who you are matters. How you respond, how you act, the choices you make, it always matters. Whether you think you know that person or not. In this case, I happened to know that person, or he happened to know me. In fact, he said, yeah, I've been to your church. I, I, I know what you're talking about. The story we're going to look at today is a story about character, and it is a powerful one. And for many of you, it is a familiar one. 
And this isn't necessarily the story I would have chosen for our VBS celebration Sunday. There's some dynamics in here that are interesting that we'll work our way through. But this is an amazing story. And it's important for us to understand the bigger picture of what we're seeing here. Because sometimes people reduce the Bible to a series of moral stories where you're, you're supposed to be like this person or be like the individual in the story, which is often the case, but it's not really the main point. The Bible is not a collection of stories to teach us morality, necessarily. That's not really the focus of it. And that certainly is not what we've been seeing in these stories. These stories are very relatable because all the people in these stories, men and women, are broken, in some way, shape, or form, some profoundly broken. Do you remember what we looked at last week with Judah? Profoundly broken man. And yet, the overall story of the Bible is this amazing God who graciously extends his love and his presence and his promises and his blessing to people who don't deserve it, to broken people who don't deserve it. As Gary helped us see last week, Judah certainly didn't deserve the blessing of God. And when we begin to look at the life of Joseph, not necessarily Joseph either. And then we begin to look at your life and my life. Yeah, really there are none of us who can stand before God and say, I deserve your grace because we don't. All of us are profoundly broken. We all start out in the same place apart from a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. We're broken people. But these stories time and time again will help us see the grace of God and we're gonna see it again today. And this is a profoundly practical yet powerful passage that we'll look at. So if you have a Bible, open it up to Genesis chapter 39 as we continue our story. If you have a tablet or a phone, take that out if it's not out already and bring that up there. And of course, we'll put it up on the screens here as we dive in. But just to reset things, we're picking up where we left off two weeks ago. And if you'll remember two weeks ago, we're introduced to this family and there's these brothers And uh, dad has a favorite among the brothers, and his name is Joseph, and he favors Joseph, and that adds to the dysfunction that's already in this family, and the brothers become resentful of Joseph, and that grows to bitterness, and that grows to outright hatred, and they decide that they're going to take his life. So they negotiate among themselves, and Judah, of all people, says, hey, let's not kill him, let's make some money. And so they sell him into slavery, and he's taken down to Egypt, and that's where our story left off. So now Joseph has lost everything. He's in a a foreign culture, probably doesn't speak the language, doesn't know the customs. It's so hard for us to relate to this. But imagine being torn from not just from your family, but from our culture here and being dropped in a foreign culture that is completely alien to you. You're enslaved. And this is where we pick up the story with Joseph. So here we go. Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, brought him, excuse me, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. Now there's many things that we don't know about this passage. We don't know for certainty what Potiphar's official capacity was. It says he was captain of the guard, but that could be translated a number of ways. Maybe he was chief of security. I mean, This is just how my mind goes, and you guys know my mind's a little weird at times, but I start thinking, oh, he was Paul Blart Mall Cop, right? He was, no, not that kind of security, probably a little bit more important than that. He may have even been the commander-in-chief of the armed forces, because if we jump forward in the Old Testament to 2 Kings chapter um, 25, the same word here is used to describe a Babylonian general there. So maybe he was a high-ranking officer in Pharaoh's court. We don't know, but this is what we do know. He was... 
part of the royal court. He was a very important person in Egyptian leadership. So now Joseph is going to be employed by an incredibly powerful man. As the story goes, the Lord was with Joseph. So he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master, Potiphar. And when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, nice problem to have, right? Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. Joseph got a major promotion as part of this. So from the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. Potiphar wisely recognizes that there's some God that has his blessing on Joseph's life, and Potiphar presumably was polytheistic, probably believed in a number of gods, but he was wise enough to understand and shrewd enough to get that there is a God who is blessing Joseph, and he will also be blessed if he elevates him and promotes him to being over his entire household. That's exactly what he does, and that's exactly what follows, is blessing. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome, and now the plot thickens. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. Now in the original language, this is actually two words here where it says, come to bed with me. It's actually sex now. This is a total power play on her part. And this is a command in the original language. And now we're going to begin to see a series of ironies that play out in this story. Joseph is in charge of running the house, and now he's going to be running emotionally from his master's wife. But it's not going to stop there. So he rightfully refuses her and reminds her, with me in charge, he told her, my master doesn't concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he's entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And this is really an amazing response in his part. He doesn't just tell her no. He explains why. I would be wronging my master, I would be betraying his trust, but look how this ends. And the way this is written, even though this appears last, this is the biggest reason. I would be wronging my God, and I'm not going to do that. That is the foundational response here. This would wrong my God. And in this amazing response, he not only refuses her, but he challenges her worldview and says, yeah, there's one God, and he's the God I know and I, I live for and I'm not going to do what you're asking me to do. It really is remarkable. And so it says that he refuses to be with her. And day after day, she's coming to him and trying to coerce him really into sleeping with her. But he refused to go to bed with her or even to be with her. I'm reminded of a story from some time ago where a friend of mine um, told me about a friend she was talking with at her work. And this friend at her work came and confided in her and said, you know what, there's this one guy who I work with and he's made it really clear he wants to have an affair with me. 
They were both married. And she said, he is constantly making advances towards me. I try not to be alone with him, but there are times in our work space I am. And he's made it really, really clear that he wants to sleep with me. And I've told him no, and I've confronted him, and I'm not sure what to do. And my friend told her, it may come to the point where you just have to leave your job if he will not leave you alone. And this was a career job for her. This was, this was a big deal. And that's exactly what eventually had to happen. She quit her job in order to run from an incredibly difficult situation that she needed to get out of. She refused to even be with him. But you see, for Joseph, he's a slave. He does not have the option to quit his job. He's caught. And he's doing everything possible to avoid what she's trying to get him to do. And so one day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants were inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. And this is an interesting connect to the earlier part of our story. If you'll remember with me, with at no fault of his own, what got Joseph into trouble with his brothers? His coat, his, his cloak. Dad favored him, so dad gave him, it was either a multicolored coat. Well, what we do know for sure is that it was very elaborate. It was um, a status symbol that he wore, and it got him in trouble with his brothers. And once again, here's his cloak, here's his coat, getting him in trouble with no fault of his own. So when she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to make, to, has been brought to us to make sport of us. Now it moves from her to them. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. And when he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. This is brilliant spin, is it not? She is a masterful manipulator. Number one, yes, Joseph was a Hebrew, but the way this is being said is this is meant as a slur. Think of any ethnicity and think of any type of slur that would be offensive to someone of any type of ethnicity, and that's what's happening here. She is, she is slurring him, and she's doing it to the servants. Now, what we don't know but what could have been is they very likely could have been resentful of Joseph. He got elevated above all of them. And it was unusual for a slave like Joseph to really be second in command of such an important household and to have the power that he had. They maybe were resentful of that. Whatever the case, she is building her case and painting Joseph into a corner even though he's innocent. So she kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Oh, wow, here it goes. So then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave that you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. And this is incredible manipulation as well. I mean, this, she's a piece of work, isn't she? Because now it's her husband's fault that Joseph is even in the household. You know what, Potiphar? This is actually your fault. You're the one who brought this guy here. And if that wasn't enough, she's basically saying, Potiphar, are you going to let him treat me this way? Are you going to do anything about this? Are you going to man up and be my husband? 
And so this is how he responds. When his master heard the story his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me, he burned with anger. Is there any husband who would not burn with anger if this is what their wife had told them? But who's he angry with? I was struck by that question this week because I've always read this and focused in on Joseph. And of course he's angry about this. He doesn't know the truth. What's been spun to him, what's been presented to him, is Joseph has done this outrageous thing. Of course he's angry with Joseph. But I wonder, could he be angry with his wife? She's not exactly presented as real trustworthy or someone of very high integrity in this story. And in all fairness, she just threw her husband under the bus with this. She just said this whole thing was his fault for elevating Joseph to the position of authority that he had done. Could it be that Potiphar was angry with her? Could it be that he was angry with the situation? We have to think about this through his lens as well. He just lost his most competent, his most able manager that he probably ever had. We're told his house was being blessed. He was being enriched because of Joseph's gifting and quality. And now all that has gone out the window. But this is what we do know. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And this is very interesting because Potiphar was well within his rights to have Joseph killed right there on the spot. For a slave to have done something like this that was alleged was the death penalty. He could have personally killed him. He could have had any of his attendants kill Joseph and they would have well been within their rights, but instead he sends him to prison and not just any prison. A number of scholars point out that this is not a supermax prison. This is not Sing Sing. This is not Rikers. This is kind of a minimum security, more than likely prison. This is where the royal prisoners are kept. Could it be Could it be that Potiphar isn't quite sure if his wife is telling the truth or not? There's a surprise. And so he's sparing Joseph's life as a result. He's punishing him to be sure, but he could have killed him. And could it be that he's saving his life? We don't know for sure, but this is what we do know is how the story continues on. But while Joseph was there in prison, and we've seen this before, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. Have we seen this before? The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Even in prison, Joseph gets a promotion. And now he's second to the warden. His character, his integrity are the same there as they were when he was in Potiphar's household. And I think there's a lot there for us to ponder and think about for a minute. We live in a culture that tells us directly and indirectly that your value, that your worth, that my significance, that my self-value in no small part comes from the work I'm doing. How often do we evaluate the importance of people, the significance of people by what they do or are doing? And yet what we see here modeled by Joseph is he works hard, he uses his gifting, he perseveres, he does a good job, he does the best he can 
wherever he is with whatever he is doing. And I was struck by this reality this week during vacation Bible school. During one of the days I was headed back to my office, for just a couple hours, this place got real quiet between the two sessions, you know, as we were recalibrating and getting ready for the evening session, which was a first for us. This is the first year we've had a morning and an evening session. And as I'm walking upstairs and the building's mostly empty, here are two of our leaders, doesn't matter who it was, but here's two of our leaders here from Grace who are busily going room to room, working really hard, picking up and dumping garbage. Because it was the only time they could serve this week. They took their lunch hour break to come here to pick up garbage. And there's so many stories like that over the course of this week. There are so many of you who will never get public credit for how you've served here at Vacation Bible School in the weeks and months that have preceded this week, during this week, or even later today when we're here taking down decorations and tying up loose ends and doing work even into this next week. Because we're not defined by what we do. That's not the source of our value or our significance. And so just so we're on the same page here, we need to understand that this is not a happy ending to this story. Yes, God is blessing Joseph once again with success and leadership possibilities and impact and influence, but folks, he's in prison. He has just lost everything again. Now he's lost his freedom on top of that. He's been wrongly accused. He's unjustly been imprisoned and he will languish there for years, forgotten and discarded. And yet through all this we see that God is personal and he is present. What do we read in this passage over and over again? God was with Joseph. God was with Joseph. God was with Joseph. Do you think Joseph felt that, saw that, knew that? I wonder because the passage doesn't tell us that. I wonder if Joseph could see the work of God in all this. What was he thinking when he got thrown into prison, when he was wrongly accused and almost lost his life and did lose his freedom? You know, we have a saying in our family and it made its way into your sermon notes, God is in the details. I absolutely believe that. One of the things I pray for you often and for myself and for our family is that we would see the work of God because God is intimately involved in all of our lives But there are times when you will not see it. There are times you will not see his work. Some of you are right there here this morning. It feels like God has left the scene and he's doing nothing and you are a victim of your circumstances and where is he and what is he doing and where is he gone? And if you're not there now, the reality is you will be there at some point because we are broken people who live in a broken world. And yet, as we looked at two weeks ago, the silence of God does not mean the absence of God. And we have to remember that. In fact, as we look at this passage, one of the realities that we have to do business with is sometimes it will cost us when we do the right thing, when we live the way God wants us to, when we put ourselves out there for someone and not only does it not get appreciated, but we actually get attacked or slandered for doing it or we get criticized 
or someone throws us under the bus when we're doing exactly what we should be doing, when we're living the way God wants us to. There's a story that I'd like you to, to hear now. You'll recognize this family. This week at VBS, he was known as Rafiki. We know him as Eric Deanberg, but he was the, the, really the MC for our morning and evening assemblies. He's the guy who got the pies thrown in his face in celebration of us meeting our savings goal. And his wife, Nicole, you'll recognize her too, but she was a coach in our morning session for the fifth grade um, crews, and she was my coach. I was one of the fifth grade crew leaders. She did an amazing job, but this is their story. And I want you to, to think about how many elements of the story here today their story touches and picks up on. So let's watch that together. My name's Eric. Uh, this is my wife, Nicole. Uh, we've been coming to Grace uh, for over 10 years. Like our journey is kind of like, it started with her serving at VBS, getting me involved with Sunday school, and um, serving became a part of our, like this is a part of our, our lives now. So we have experienced real blessings in serving, but there's been times when we've also experienced some pain. We had family that needed a place to stay, and we're like, said, absolutely, we'd love for you guys to live with us. We'd been thinking through like, okay, well we serve at church and we serve at, at Vacation Bible School, but we felt like we were being called to serve in a different capacity. One that was like, felt super real because it was constant and it was with everything that we had like you said it's just it was our kids and it was us and it was stuff and food and we thought everything was going great mm -hmm. but then everything changed things arose that weren't communicated from before and there was real hurt and frustration on their end which we had no idea about and then so then they were, they held it in and to the point where they just couldn't hold it in any longer and then lashed out at us. Yeah, I mean, we, we thought we were doing everything we could. Um, we thought we were doing the right thing. Um, and it just, in the end, it just ended up hurting so bad. You don't understand why there's so much pain when you were trying to help. Especially, you felt you were being led to do this. Here we are, like, this is literally one year later. Since that time, there's been healing. Like, mm -hmm. God's been working in us. Um, I, I really feel like He's worked on those relationships. Um, there's been restoration. Uh, forgiveness. And yeah, forgiveness. That one's, that one's wild. wild. After this, it was so hard to um, imagine, I guess, serving in that capacity again. But whenever we would talk about it, um, we, we kept aff affirming or reassuring each other that this is what we were supposed to do and that there's no guarantee that it's going to go the way that we think it should. 
Uh, and I think even right away, even through all that pain and even through some of the, the, the hard times of grasping it, we still said that we, sh we would do it again. Absolutely. And we would do it again right then if we had to. So the reality is for all of us who love and follow the Lord, there will come times where you do what God wants you to do, where you live rightly before him, rightly for others, and it costs you something. You get criticized, or it, or it is difficult, and it can make us wonder, is, is it really worth it? And is this what God really wants for me? And he does want us to do what is right in his eyes and what is right by other people, even when it's hard, even when we get unfairly criticized or wronged in doing it, as difficult as that is. If you watched our Facebook sermon preview, and just as a reminder to you, every week the preaching team and I will load up a one or two minute um, preview, a primer of what's coming that, that next Sunday, and we usually get it up by about Thursday of the week. And in that primer that we uploaded this week, we looked at this very reality that when God blesses us with resources and the ability to do something to bless someone else or to help someone else, he actually expects us to do it, even when it's hard, even when it's difficult, even when it might cost us something. Because in this story, we see two very different examples of how power is used. In Joseph's life, we see Joseph being a blessing. God blesses him but he is a blessing to those around him. He uses his power for good. He uses his influence for good. He uses it for the benefit of Potiphar and the household, as opposed to Potiphar's wife, who uses her power to manipulate, to coerce, to abuse, and for selfish ends. And it's not just Potiphar's wife. We saw this in Judah's life last week, as Gary helped us see. I mean, here's a guy who is in a position to do so many things that would be such a blessing to his family and instead it was all about him and his brokenness. And he misused and abused his power over and over again. And I think a great example, a positive example of us using what God has blessed us with to be a blessing to others is captured in these boxes of food and school supplies and what you heard that we were trying to raise $500 for my father's house and we quadrupled that. We raised over $2,000 for my father's house. Now, in all fairness, I know that in the giving that your kids did, that probably came in no small part from your pockets, right? But the reality is God has blessed us and has positioned us to be a blessing to others, and this is one way we can do that. Do you realize that on any given night in Multnomah County, there are over 3,500 homeless folks who have no place to sleep? Now, parking all the dimensions of that complicated issue aside for just a minute, because of my father's house, because of what we in part have raised here and what we're going to be giving, 40 of those families will have a place to sleep tonight. We'll have food. We'll have opportunity for life skill training and job training. We'll reintegrate back into our community as contributors and not just receivers because of my father's house. I think that's pretty compelling. 
And I think that is an example of us taking what God has given to us and using it to be a blessing to others. It's right here in these bins. It's in, the, it's in the, the resources that we gave. And we can live this way because he empowers us with a loyal, faithful love. How was Joseph able to run from Potiphar's wife's advances? How was he able to say no to that? Because there had to be great temptation in order to just go with it. And, and do you remember why he said when he confronted her, that he was not going to give in to what she wanted. Yes, it would wrong Potiphar. Yes, it would betray his trust. But what was the central reason? And I highlighted it for you. This would wrong God. And I think there's something there. And some of you might say, well, how noble, how pious, how religious. I'm just not sure I'm, I'm that religious. I'm not sure that would necessarily work for me. But is it about being religious or is it about something more profound? and more significant than just being religious? And the answer is yes. It's far more than that. And it is captured in one of the verses that we looked at. It kind of hides in there, but it's very powerful. It said, once again, that God was with Joseph and that he had showed him kindness. In the original language, this is the word that's used to describe God's love. It's called chesed. And now you know some Hebrew. Chesed. It means God's unrelenting, stubborn, loyal, timeless, active love. Why was Joseph able to resist the advances of Potiphar's wife? It wasn't because he was religious. It's because he had a love in his life that ordered all the other desires, all the other motives, all the other actions of his life. This was about a relationship with God. He had experienced God's love and kindness, and in return, he was able to live his life out of that. And it's what enabled him to fight temptation by running away from it. I mean, think with me for just a minute. Let's test drive this. What were the options that were open to Joseph at this point? Well, when Potiphar's wife made her passes at him, he could have just used willpower. And maybe there was some of that involved there, but willpower really is denying or suppressing those, those desires that come at you. And it works. But does it work all the time? Well, not necessarily all the time. In fact, willpower will fail you at some point. Well, then we could go with what our culture says. Our culture would say, well, why didn't he do that? I mean, if you desire something, if you want something, who's to say whether it's right or wrong or good or bad? Why, why didn't he just give into it? And yet there's this timeless standard that's rooted in the character of God where God in his word has very clearly defined marriage and sexual expression to be between one man and one woman in a lifelong covenant relationship. So there actually is a, a standard that applies to all people in all cultures at all times. So why wouldn't Joseph betray Potiphar's trust? I mean, what is the big deal if he would have slept with her? Well, it's rooted in the character of God. Do you, do you recognize, do you realize the life that God calls us to, the standards that he gives us, if you want to 
reduce it to for right or wrong, are always rooted in the character of who he is and who we were originally created to be. Why shouldn't Joseph cheat on, cheat with Potiphar's wife? Because God doesn't do that. God is faithful. Why shouldn't I be greedy? Because God's not greedy. Why shouldn't you lie? Because God doesn't lie. Why shouldn't I slander people? Because God doesn't slander people. What this really came down to for Joseph was heart power. By allowing God to guide and guard and direct his heart, that is truly the path of blessing. And this is what this looks like real quickly as we jump to the Old Testament. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Now let's stop for a minute. What's the grace of God? That's a church word that gets thrown out a lot. What is it really? I mean, isn't grace getting something that you don't deserve? In fact, in this instance, it's the unmerited, unearned love of God given freely for the sake of right relationship with him and other people. That's what the grace of, of God is. Okay, so once you have that love, once you've experienced that love, this is how it tangibly works its way out in your life. It teaches you to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Religion says, empty religion, well, you need to earn God's love, and here's how you do it. The Bible says, uh, no, you don't earn God's love. God's love is freely given to you. The real issue is, will you respond to it? Because once you do, then that love orders all the other loves, all the other desires in your life, and it begins to transform you. And once again, that's embedded in this story. You see, empty religion divides people into the bad people and the good people, and you're one or the other. Christianity, the Bible declares that we all start out in the same place apart from God. We're all broken, selfish, sinful people, and yet God gives us showers us with his grace and he takes selfish, sinful, self-focused people and turns us into servants. He transforms us and changes us. Do you know why we do Vacation Bible School? It's because God has first loved us. That's why we love and serve this community. That's why we do what we do. Pause with me and think for just a second. How many thousands and thousands and thousands of hours have been invested into what happened this week? For literally the last year, leading up to this week, all the time that's gone into this week, all the time that will go in today when we take down these decorations after the service, all the time that will go into the follow-up stuff we'll do for the next several weeks, the thousands and thousands of dollars that have been spent on this week and invested into the lives of people. Why would anybody do that? Because the love of Christ compels us. Because God has loved us and we want to be a blessing and love other people. And we'll end with this. Family Fun Night Friday night, a gentleman came up to me and I recognize him. He's come to VBS and worship team, you can come forward. He's come to VBS with his kids in previous years. I don't remember his name, but we've talked off and on. He came up to me, doesn't worship here, doesn't, doesn't go to church and said, you know, I'd like to give you this, I'd like to make a contribution I'd like to give you this money. And I told him no. And some of you were shocked. A pastor saying no to someone giving money, but let me explain myself. I said, well, if you want to later, but no. The answer is no. And he said, why? And I said, because this is our gift to you and the community. We want you to come and enjoy this. 
Because God has blessed us, we wanna be a blessing to you and we wanna be a blessing to this community. And this isn't because we're good people and it's not because we're nice people. It's because we are new people. Because when Jesus Christ comes into your life and you receive and respond to him, like we've been telling these hundreds of kids this last week, he changes you from the inside out. He makes you into the person you were originally created to be and that is the life he wants to bless. And so now we're gonna sing together about the reality of a God who changes lives, who has first loved us and that's what enables us to love other people even when it costs us even when it's hard, even when it's difficult, because it's worth it, because he says it's worth it. So let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you that you are the God who has first loved us. Thank you for the privilege of giving us the resources to be able to make an investment in this community like we've been able to do with Vacation Bible School. We pray that the work of your spirit and the lives you continue to change ripples throughout this community for the rest of the year until we do this again. And God, we thank you that you are the one who loves us. We worship you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And I I hope you believe what you just sang because it's true. And God blesses us to be a blessing. And I'm excited to tell you that for those of you who can stick around and continue to help us with VBS as we clean up today, a number of these decorations are going to another church to be used in their vacation Bible school. And we'll get instructions on what gets thrown out and what gets kept as we get going here in just a bit. But if you can stay, please do. It's just another way for you to have a hand in what God has been doing around here and what he'll continue to do. I'd like to leave you with this passage from Titus because it's so practical and so powerful. It says this once again, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you once again for each person who is here. We celebrate together what you have done through Vacation Bible School this week and what you're going to continue to do because you are the God who does want all people to come to know you, to be saved from selfishness and brokenness, and instead to serve and love and give and be a blessing like you have created us and called us to do and be. And so God, as we go from here, whether we're staying to help with decorations or whether we're going on to the rest of our day, Lord, would you empower us by your spirit to be the people, the community, the church that you have called us to be because we believe and we pray all of this in your name. Amen. Thank you for being here. God's richest blessing over you. Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net.